Normally, I would come and talk with you directly, but because we're having some problems with our computer today, I have to stay at my desk here at the pulpit so that I can control the screen so that you'll be able to see the pictures that I wanted you to see this morning, okay? So, let me show you the very first one. Some of you guys can read, but some of you may not be able to read the word that's in red. Can you read that word, anybody? What do you think it says? Parable. Let's read that sign together. The parable of the sower. What is a parable? Do you know what it is? It's a simple thing. It's a story with a meaning. It's actually a story with a hidden meaning. And when you when somebody tells a parable, they're telling a story and you, the listener, have to guess what the hidden meaning is. You want to try? This is the parable of the sower. Do you know what a sower is? What? Somebody who plants seeds, a farmer or a gardener. Okay, somebody who plants seeds in the ground and wants to see plants grow. So that's what a sower is. Well, this is one of the parables, one of the stories that Jesus told. It's actually one of the most famous parables that Jesus told. And did you know, well, I'll talk about it more with the adults in a few minutes, but Jesus said about this particular parable, if you don't get this one, you're not going to get any of them. So this is one of the ones that's the most important story parable that Jesus ever told. But there's a hidden message. So see if you can figure out what the hidden message is, okay? So there's this farmer. I don't know what his name was. Let's call him Elliot. There's a farmer named Elliot. E-I-E-I-O. I'm only kidding. And he wanted to grow some plants. And he took a bunch of seeds And he threw the seeds on the ground. And some of the seeds fell onto the pathway that people walked on. And when the birds saw the seeds lying on the path, they swooped down and they ate the seeds. And those seeds never had a chance to grow. Then when the sower, when when farmer Elliot threw some more seeds, some of the seeds fell into soil that had a lot of rocks in it. It was kind of like gravel. Have you guys got gravel on your your property? It's kind of of rocky. It has a little bit of sand in it, but it's more rocks than sand, right? And it's not very easy for plants to grow in gravelly, rocky soil, but they can grow. And so the, the seeds did germinate and start putting roots out. And the green part started coming up and there were a little bit of leaves. But the problem was when the hot sun hit the gravel part, the ground heated up so quickly and so intensely that there wasn't enough moisture for the roots to gather. And the, and the, the plants that were in the gravel started to wilt and to wither. And then they ultimately died because they just didn't have enough nutrients or water in order to get any growth. Now, there was another part of the ground when he threw sand, I mean, threw seeds. What do you think this one might be? 
Can you see that picture? What do you think's in that picture? Huh? Thorns. What are thorns? Pokey things. They're like weeds. They're, they're plants, but they're not plants that grow any food. They are, they are weeds and they, they literally compete with the, with this, with the other plants for the water and for the nutrients. And they try to, they try to get as much as they can. And so the end result is the, the weeds fight against the plants that are being sown by Farmer Elliot. Now, have you guys ever done gardening on your own property? When you've done gardening on your own property, don't you have to do what's called weeding? What is weeding? Don't. You have to take out the weeds. Why do you have to do that? The weeds' roots will take over the gar- the flower bed or the garden bed. And what will happen is the weeds will grow and your plants won't grow very much. And the whole point is if you're trying to grow like what? What would you grow up here? Strawberries. strawberries. So if you try to grow strawberries, strawberries take a lot of water, don't they, to grow? Because you have to have water to produce the fruit because the fruit is juicy. And strawberries also need nutrients that are in the soil. But if the weeds are crowding out the plants, then the strawberries won't produce very many pieces of fruit. And so it's important that you have to pull the weeds away and not hurt the plant that's growing. And that's what happened here. Farmer Elliot threw some seed and it went into the part of the land, had thorns and weeds. And even though the seeds grew into plants, they had to compete with the weeds and the thorns. And as a result, they grew But they didn't grow very big and they didn't really produce very much fruit. But some of the seed fell on a part of the land that had already been prepared and it had really good soil. There wasn't any gravel. There wasn't any weeds. And because the soil was rich and loose and moist, the seeds were able to grow. And if you've ever seen seeds grow, they actually put roots down into the soil and then the, the plant comes up, the stalk comes up and then leaves start happening. And then eventually they get full and lush and beautiful and they begin producing fruit. Now, fruit could be like a vegetable or a fruit. And Jesus said, these plants that grew in the good soil grew healthy And some of them produced this much fruit and some of them produced this much fruit and some of them produced this much fruit. All because they didn't have rocks or weeds and they had good soil. See, there's there can be medium big or bigger than big or super big. All of them are good plants. All of them are producing plants, but some of them get really big and some of them just get this big. And it all depends on what's going on. Now, one of the things that, that Jesus said was he, that, that the, the sower, Farmer Elliot, was sowing seed. Now, remember, I said a parable is trying is a telling a story that's trying to tell the people listening a secret message. What do you think? Go ahead. The first one is 
there wasn't, it couldn't find roots or anything because the birds ate it. Okay. On the second one, you it had too much sunlight and not enough moisture. Okay. And then the third one, the there was other things that took over it. And then the last one? And the last one grew because it had enough moisture and sunlight that... Perfect. Now, what was the seed that was being planted? Audrey? Us? You're the seed? Mmm, that's a good thought. I don't know that that's right, but that's a good thought. I'm being planted. Hmm. What? Other people. Like friends, family. Other people, friends or family in our life. Okay. That's a good idea too. How about this idea? Listen, think about this. What if the seed is the, is the word of God, the Bible? What if God, the sower, the, the Elliot, the farmer, was putting the Bible out and trying to get it. Now, I like what Audrey said about we're being planted, but what if it's that we are actually the soil and the word of God is the seed and this word of God comes into the soil that's us and then we can grow and produce fruit. Now, Jesus said, that he wanted the children of God to produce fruit. And he wants us to, to grow as good as we can and as strong as we can. And the way we can do that is you have to let God be most important in your life. You can't love, Jesus even said this, You can't love your mom and your dad more than you love God. You can't love your brothers and sisters more than you love God. You can't love your grandma and grandpa more than you love God. You can't love your favorite toy more than you love God. God has to be the most important thing in your life. And if that's the case, then God can help you to be a good, righteous, holy pure child of God, and then you will be able to spread the word of God to other people because you'll be producing fruit. You'll be able to, because one of the Bible, one of the things Jesus said in the Bible, he said, do good deeds in front of your friends and neighbors so that they will see those good deeds and give glory to God. Everything we do should point people to God. The words that we say, the way that we live our lives, the things that we give, everything should be for God. And that's what I said. If you make God the most important thing in your life, then you will have lots of growth and lots of fruit and you will be called holy, righteous, pure child of God. And that's the goal. Now, I know that's a hard lesson. And... A lot of us live our whole lives and never fully reach that point. Because some of us, like the thorns, we get kind of crowded out with the weeds because we let other things in life bother us and, and get upset, make us upset. And the end result is 
we don't necessarily grow the way we could. But if you could strive, even at your young age, if you could strive to let God be number one in your life, you could be the greatest, biggest, strongest child of God that has all of this fruit and you're telling other people about Jesus. Anyway, let's pray for her. I want to ask God to bless you guys and then we're going to send you to your class. Jesus, I ask that you bless these kids. I ask God that this parable that has this hidden meaning, I pray that you would help them to come to understand what this hidden meaning is, that they need to put you number one at all times in every situation. In your name I pray, God. Amen. Okay, you guys can head on back to your class. Thank you guys so much for your attention. I appreciate it. Well, I'm not an artist. If I try to draw something, it does not end up looking like what you're looking at right now. I was praying and asking God to help me come up with my sermon. And I went online and the Lord guided me to a YouTube video. And this was the graphic that I found. So I'm giving credit where credit's due. The person who wrote the video is David Earhart. The person who did the animation is Sarah Tomlin. And I unashamedly stole her work this morning. But I'm giving her the credit. Okay, and if you want to know where this video is found, I'll give you the link online. Now, we're looking at Mark chapter 4 this morning. And in Mark chapter 4, verses 33 through 34, Jesus said, I mean, the, the, the word of God says, With many such parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He didn't speak to them without a parable. But privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. So when Jesus was out in public doing his public ministry, he spoke in mystery. That has always bothered me. Because what did we say a parable was? It's a story with a hidden message. And what's really crazy It says he only explained the meaning of the parables to his disciples. He did not do what I just did with the kids. He simply told the crowd and the the seed that fell on good ground produced a 30 fold or 60 fold or a 100 fold. Thank you for coming. Bye bye. And then he went into the house. And then he talked about it with his friends and explained the hidden message to his friends. And that has always bothered me because in Mark chapter four, verse nine, it says, Jesus himself said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And if you go further in chapter four, verses 10, 11 and 12, it says, when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those who are outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see, but not perceive and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. What? Doesn't Jesus want people to turn away from their sins and be forgiven and come to the father and become children of God? 
I don't like those words, Jesus. That's not the way I understand you. That doesn't make sense to me, God. Why would you not want thousands upon thousands upon thousands hearing the message, the truth of the word of God, getting cut in their heart by their sin, confessing and repenting of their sin, and following you into eternal life? Why would you not want that, God? And I will tell you, it can be found in the Old Testament. Everyone's got this scowling look on their face going, what, what, what? I don't have the reference because I don't have the reference. I'll, I'll get it for you if you need it. But when God was giving the assignment to Moses, who then in turn gave the assignment to Joshua, this was in the last part of Moses's life. God has a, holds a meeting with Moses and then he says, pass this on to Joshua because you ain't going into the promised land with the people. And then the promise that's made to Joshua is, I am giving you the land. When you get across the river, everywhere your foot touches will be yours. I have removed the ownership from the people that are currently there because of their faithlessness because of their unwillingness to submit to me and I am giving the land to you. However, I am not giving it all to you at once. Why? Because you can't handle it all at once. If I were to clear everyone out and say, go, take it, you're not big enough to handle it. And the end result, the wild animals would take over. Everything would be overgrown by nature. And all that I'm giving you, cities that have already been built, fields that have already been plowed and planted, uh, 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 olive groves and grapevines, all of these are all in place for you to come and just inhabit and be blessed by but if I gave it to you all at once, you're not big enough to live in all of that at once. And the end result is it would fall into decay. That's why I'm going to give it to you little by little by little. And then you're going to establish the area that you're living in. And then I'm going to open up the next area and you're going to establish that. And by the time that it's all said and done, you will have it all and you will be so blessed and you will have the land flowing with milk and honey because I gave it to you. Now, that's what God said to Joshua as the Israelites were getting ready to take over the promised land. Now, let's come back to Jesus' time. Jesus has how many disciples that he calls his apostles? Twelve. Jesus spends three years pouring into those Twelve. Now, there are more than just 12. But if you go to John chapter 6, you're going to see where most of those more walk away from Jesus. And it goes back down to pretty much just the 12. Now, there are still some, because there are some women who supported the ministry. There's Mary Magdalene, there's some other women. But the bottom line, the bottom line, it's a small group of people. Jesus spends three years pouring into that small group of people. And who gets the mysteries, the, the answers to the mysteries? The small group. 
Why? Because they are the ones that are going to be tasked with the sowing of the word of God into the world after Christ is taken. Of course, Jesus could handle thousands upon thousands upon thousands of new believers. Of course, he could disciple all of them at once. But could you? You couldn't. The reality is, if we grow past 50, which we're almost right at 50, folks. Did you know that? If we get much past 50, there's going to be people coming into this church that you'll never know their name. Why? Because as a human being, you cannot intimately know much more than 50 or 60 people. And intimately is a a kind of a, a wrong word, because quite honestly, if you look around the room, how many of you know where somebody lives, where every single one of these people live in this in this room? Do you know what their car looks like? Do you know what how many bedrooms they have in their home? So you don't know a lot about the people that you meet with every week. But you know their face and you know a little bit about them. So imagine if Jesus preached gospel and all of these people came to faith and then said to Peter and John and James and Andrew, go disciple them. And the end result was it would implode. So Jesus's intent was not to hinder others but to pour into the core, to build up the core, to get them healthy and strong and able so that that when the time comes, when Christ ascends and two days or three days or four days or how many days it was later, the, the Holy Spirit of God comes and anoints the leaders of the church. They're ready to receive thousands every day, literally. Within the first six months, the church was over 5,000 people strong. And they were having to administer that. Go to the book of Acts. Look at the first six or seven chapters of the book of Acts. That's exactly what happened. But in the, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus always taught publicly in parables. Always speaking truth. Always giving out the word of God. But it was only for those who had ears to hear. And that's hard on us. Because from our perspective, we want everyone to come to faith. But at that point, they were building foundations, getting things ready for the superstructure that was coming. And so, having understood that, let's begin looking at this parable called the parable of the sower. Now, um, this good news, this word of God, when we think of the word of God, and I showed the picture to the kids of, of that Bible, but the reality is the word of God can be a written form. It can be spoken. In our day and age, it can be video. It can be a formal essay, a formal treatise. It can simply be you sitting over a cup of coffee saying, wouldn't you believe what God did in my life last week? That's all the good news, all of it. And our job is to continually spread it out. Our job is to continually broadcast the good news to the people around us. So what is being sown is the word of God. 
Where is it being sown? If you are being intentional, it should be being sown everywhere. In the coffee shop, at the bank, in your place of employment, in your home, when you're out at the community garden, when you're at the public, whatever. It should always be a part of how we as Christians live. The reality is, it's the receiver who deals with what you're sowing. It's not your job to choose where you sow it. Who receives it? Those who are on the path, whose heart is not able to receive it at all, and they reject it instantly. Those who are on rocky soil, they receive it, springs up, but there's not a whole lot of chance for it to to grow and be successful. Those who are in the thorns, the weeds, they grow. And I would submit to you that they probably are going to be in heaven. But they weren't very fruitful while they're on the earth. And then finally, those who are in good soil, ready to receive the word without distractions, to allow the word to grow within their heart and within their mind. So then the question then comes about fruitfulness, okay? You heard me say, the people on the path, they don't even become to faith. They hear the word and it's dismissed immediately. People with the rocks, they come to faith, but then it dies away. People with the thorns or the weeds, they come to faith, and nothing says that their life has to end, even though they're weedy. But the challenge is they don't get very big, and they're sickly as far as their productivity, and they pretty much don't produce anything with any significant and eternal value. But does that mean they're not saved? Of course not. They're saved. They're children of God. They're loved of God. They will be granted entrance into the heavens. However, they won't have much of a crown to present at the foot of the cross. I mean, at the foot of the throne. And then finally, there's, like I said, the good soil. But the question is, what is it that that they're producing? What is this fruit that we're being told we want to produce? Because it it said, Jesus' parable said, the ones who are are sown on good soil produce fruit. What kind of fruit? I don't know. They produce 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. They produce fruit. But what kind of fruit? I don't know. He didn't say what kind of fruit. They produce fruit. Our goal is to produce fruit. So what does that mean? Am I producing converts? Ah, oh, my goodness, I only have like three or four in my whole career. Um, how many have you got? That's not fruit in my mind. That's because see, I don't control. I don't control what they do with the seed that I give them. That's between them and God. So, so, so converts isn't fruit. What's fruit? Well, let's look. There's a Greek word that you need to know. It's called skandalizo. And it can be translated stumbled or enticed to sin. That's the word that comes up when it talks about the rocky soil. The seed germinates, begins to grow, but there is no fruit as a result because of tribulation, which is problems, or persecution, people's harassment. And it causes the person to skandalizo, to stumble. This thorny soil, the person receives the word, they grow. But because God doesn't take first place in their life, 
And the end of the result is, Jesus said, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things become the weeds that choke and end up with a lack of fruit. And then obviously the good soil. But what is this fruit? Jesus said in John chapter 15, which is the verse that was on the screen all morning long, John chapter 15, verse 8, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Okay, here's a little bit more information about what this fruit is. Because if I bear it, I'm proving that I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. Still doesn't tell me what it is. (laughs) All right. What does the phrase bear fruit mean? The only thing I can do is go to scripture. So what I've done, and I have to be honest, this guy David did it for me. I loved it and I was like, I can't improve on this. I'm just going to use his outline. This is what David did. The very first one he came to was repentance. Fruit called repentance. Where's that? Matthew chapter 3, verse 8. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. What is repentance? It's different from confessing. Confessing sin is saying, I admit it. Repentance is turning from. In other words, this is the way I want to go, but I recognize that I am sinning when I do that. So I have to acknowledge and confess that, but I have to turn from it. It could be a 180 degree turn, depending on how bad the sin is. But without repentance, you're not leaving the path of sin. Just because you confess doesn't mean that it's over with. If you're still walking that same path. So the very first fruit that a Christian needs to display in their life is a fruit of repentance. I am sorry, God, for having heartily offended you. I'm heartily sorry, God, for having offended you. And I detest all of my sins. And I turn from them. The fruit of repentance. The next one. You heard me say it to the kids. Your good works. Hmm. What are good works? Well, if you look in first in Colossians chapter one, verses nine and ten, it says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may bear fruit in every good work and increase in the knowledge of God. What is good fruit? What is good works? It's doing love, showing compassion. Walking in truth. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Let your light so shine before men that they see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's this idea of good works. So repentance and good works. That's fruit. Here's another fruit that we display as Christians. The fruit of praise. Hmm. That one's Hebrews chapter 13. Through 
him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Now, there is that word sacrifice to me. It's not just simply giving lip service to God. This speaks to me about the idea of being intentional about giving God praise. I choose to live my life in a way that glorifies God. That is a sacrifice on my part. I could have chosen that path, but I choose this path because this glorifies God. I want my life to turn people toward Christ. Where does that come about? That can come about in your choice of vocation, your choice of your job. It could come about in the choice of your spouse. It could come about in the choice of the school that you go to. It could come about in in what church you attend. It could come about in what neighborhood you live in. It could come about even in what type of vehicle you drive. I mean, again, it is all intentionality on the part of the person, the Christian, saying, Lord God, I want to honor you with my life. How should I live? What should I choose to do to bring glory to your name? And what choices am I currently making that are not bringing glory to your name that I need to turn from? Not that they're necessarily sin, but they are still not pointing people to Christ. Kind of goes with the the thing that part of Jesus' sermon were on the mount where he said, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing because if you do that, (laughs) you've already received your reward. If you go, oh, look at me, look at me. I run a food bank every Tuesday night at 5.30. It's all, I'm such a good guy. I'm so glorious. Love me, love me, love me, love me. I may be doing good work, but I'm pointing the finger at me instead of at God. I'm saying, look at me, look at me, how good I am. Look at the things I've done. That's not what this is about. This is, I am choosing to do everything so that when you see me, you think of God. You don't think of Bob and how good he is or how talented he is or how wonderful he is. You think of God. And if you don't, then you're doing something wrong. So Hebrews 13, 15, this sacrifice of praise to God is an intentionality on my part to make sure that God is being honored by the way that I live. Another fruit It's actually found in two separate verses, but it's tied together. It's righteousness and peace. The first one is Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. It says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What is righteousness? I mean, it's a good word, but what is it? You don't have to answer it, but think about it. What is righteousness? The easiest definition I've ever heard is being in right relationship with God. Being able to walk in integrity. No skeletons in your closet. You're not faking it. You're being real. 
authentic. It's not that you're all that great, not that you're all that in a bag of chips, breaking your arm trying to pat yourself on the back. It's that I recognize, yes, I am a child of God. My sins have been forgiven because of the sacrifice that Christ made and because of the power of the Father who raised him back to life. I am in right relationship with God and I know it because I have the witness of the Holy Spirit in my life. All of these are things in the way that I choose to live my life. I'm walking in integrity and wholeness and righteousness in right relationship with God. But tied with that is this other verse. James chapter 3 verses 17 to 18 says the wisdom from above is first pure then peaceable, then gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So what the, 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 the author that, that, that put together this list of fruit, he said it was righteousness and peace. Living rightly, but also sowing peace. There are people in this community that I don't like. I'm not talking about about our church. I'm talking about Two Rivers and Pleasant Valley. (laughs) There are people in this community that I would choose to not be in relationship with. I don't like them. They grate on me. They make me uncomfortable when I'm around them. They're rude. They smell funny. They're self-aggrandizing. They think they're all that in a bag of chips and let everyone know that. But my job is to love even the unlovable. My job is to honor Jesus with the way that I live my life. And sometimes that means literally hugging the unhuggable. It means putting up with all of their because it pleases God. It is being intentional in the way that I live that does not allow them to feel like they are less than in my eyes because I'm trying to see them through the eyes of Christ. I'm trying to see them with the unconditional love that Jesus has for them. Even though they make me cringe when I'm around them. Even though they make me want to vomit when I smell them. Have you ever heard the story of Mother Teresa and the way that she lived the last years of her life? She truly believed herself to be the arms and the feet and the heart of Jesus. And she got into the, the, the curbs and the gutters in Calcutta and literally lifted people up out of fecal matter and out of vomit and washed them the best that she could and cared for them and held them against her breast as they breathed their last. She didn't want to do that. She did that because she loved Christ. 
And she wanted that person in some way, shape or form to understand the love of Christ. That sowing seeds regardless of the ground it's going on. Because it's not your job to worry whether or not it's a path or a rocky place or a thorny place or good soil. It's your job to simply love and to broadcast seed. Let the word of Christ be spread broadly and liberally by you as you walk around in this life. Another one of the fruit is goodness and justice and truth. This is found in Ephesians. At one time you were darkness. This is before you were Christian. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Let's go back to, to that one. Goodness, justice, truth. How do you live justly? What is justice? And I'm not talking about from the legal system. I'm talking about what is justice? Isn't it everyone being treated the way they deserve? Regardless of what they deserve? <laughs> Do you understand my meaning? Years ago, when I was a young adult and had my very first car and had my very first job, I would pray as I was driving down the road. And if I saw someone on the side of the road, whether they were hitchhiking or not, if they were just walking, I would pray and ask the Lord, do I pick them up or not? And very clearly, the Holy Spirit would tell me yes or no. And the times that he told me yes, I would pick them up. And the time he told me no, I wouldn't. And one time, I picked up this woman I was, I was 18, she was in her 40s or 50s. She had white hair, I'm, I'm guessing she was in her 50s. But, I mean, she wasn't 60 or 70, but she was, she was 40s or 50s, easy. And because of the community that I was part of, I was there at that point in the military, I was going to Russian language training at the Defense Language Institute, and this woman that I picked up was not, I didn't know her, but she was of foreign descent and she had emigrated to the United States specifically to get a job at the Defense Language Institute. She'd been hired and brought to the United States for that purpose. And she got there and she met someone who was, I mean, she didn't meet them, she saw them, someone who she knew from her previous life in her previous country. And she realized that she was not safe. Because that person was present. She didn't get into all the details about why. She just told me this is part of her story. So she quit her job. And now she was struggling to find another job because she was an immigrant. And she didn't, she spoke English very well. That wasn't the case. But she was, there was a, there was a prejudice against her. And she was finding a hard time to get employment and finding a hard time to get her life on track. 
And as she was sharing with me her story and we're driving down the road, the Holy Spirit whispered to me, write her a check for $50. I didn't have cash in my pocket. And back in the 19, late 1970s, $50 was a lot more than $50 is now. I mean, it was one-tenth of my monthly income. So it was a huge amount for me. And the Lord said, give her 50 bucks. So I wrote a check and I handed it to her. As I was dropping her off, I said, hold on just a second. I pulled out the credit card, I mean the checkbook, and I wrote her a check. I asked her her name. I wrote it down. I signed the check. I tore it out and I handed it to her and she's crying. Why are you doing this? Because God, the Holy Spirit told me I had to do it. I have no choice. No, I can't take your money. Yes, you can. You have no choice but to take my money. God is orchestrating this. Thank you. Thank you. You'll never know. Thank you. Thank you. I got back to my friends on Defense Lake Virginia, the Christians that I hung out with. And I was so excited. Oh, let me tell you what happened to me today. Oh, God, it was so cool. I wrote a check for $50. And they looked at me and said, you're a fool. What do you mean I'm a fool? She read, led, read you some stupid line. She probably tells everyone that story. She's got $50 checks coming out of her ears because she's a con artist. And what I said to my friends, my Christian friends was, that doesn't make any difference. It doesn't matter what the soil is, whether it's a path or rocky or thorny or good soil. I obeyed my father. I honed the ability to listen to the spirit of God. I exhibited justice and compassion and mercy and grace. Whether or not she was a con artist made no difference in the transaction from my side. I was living my life in such a way that she saw Jesus. Whether or not she ever did anything with that or not, I'll never know unless I see her in heaven. And that's living justly, truthfully, with goodness and righteousness. The next one. Galatians chapter 5. It's a very, very common one that we're very familiar with. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. The goal for every single one of you is to be fruitful. You have already received the word of God. You have already responded. Whether or not you were in rocky soil or thorny soil or good soil, you are a Christ follower. You are a child of the king and your goal is to be fruitful. The challenge is most of the time you have a mindset of, ah, I gotta be fruitful. I've got to make fruit happen. And that's not how fruitfulness works. That's how fruitfulness works. It is God in you. 
flushing through you, producing fruit in you. As, I don't want to say it's a passive thing. Because it isn't. You have to do some. God does do this in partnership with you. I mean, you can choose to live an unhealthy, unproductive life. You can choose to not read your word. You can choose to not go to church. You can choose to say no when the Holy Spirit asks you to do something. That's all part of this process. God is asking you to join him in whatever it is that he's trying to do to produce fruitfulness in you. But the reality is being fruitful is not a matter of your own effort. Being fruitful is a work of the Holy Spirit of God. Our job is to make sure that we provide the best soil possible for God's word to grow in. And if you do it well, that's what you live with. Holy Spirit empowered, Holy Spirit infused, fruitfulness, and all of it for the praise and glory of God, your Father. Let's pray. Our God, we give you praise. We give you honor. We give you glory. And we ask, God, that you would please, please, please help us to live in such a way that the people of this world see you as they look at us. Help us, Father, to be faithful. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Whoever's coming up to read... Come on up to read.